This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course, novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers to name just a few, plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com slash hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret White. Terry Brooks. Sheena Kamal. Matthew Quick. J.T. Ellison. Walt D. Williams. Brad Ford. Corey Doctorow. Brandon Sanders. Robin Mom. Ernest Klein. Jim Butcher. Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Again, for the Author Stories podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Jocelyn Jackson back on the show with me today. We're talking about her brand new book. It's out everywhere now. When you're hearing this, it's called Mother May I. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you loved uh, the book that she had out last year, you are absolutely going to go crazy over this book. It is so much fun and, and will leave you. Uh, sleeping with one eye open. Let's just <laughs> welcome back to the show, Jocelyn. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Hank. I'm excited to have you. Uh, Jocelyn, you know, when we talked last year, um, I don't think we really kind of knew what we were in for uh, with everything that, that 2020 turned out to be. And, yeah. you know, hopefully now that we're past the first quarter of 2021 and there are lots of indicators that that life is getting better for a lot of people and and let's hope so let's let's hope that that keeps trending uh, in a positive direction um but uh what did what did last year mean for you as a creative person i've been getting to ask people you know what what a global pandemic and lockdowns and all of that have meant for their creative process and you know writers tend to spend a lot of time alone anyway um but how did that affect you yeah i think less than it affected a lot of people it helps i think it it helps to be introverted it helps that i was used to working from home anyway um and writing wise creativity wise you know it was to work on the new book that i'm writing now was such an escape that i loved it It affected me, honestly, more as a reader. Like, I had a very hard time holding concentration on on a lot of books. And I ended up just, like, reading almost nothing but feminist horror, which for some reason I would just love and read. And that would work for me. So I've read so much gothic novels and feminist horror in the last year. I don't know why I found that so comforting. (laughs) That's so funny. That is so funny. So, um, I, I, you know, with, with the way publishing generally works, um, 
you know, you may have been finished with the book and it off your desk for, you know, the better part of a year um, yes. before it actually comes out. So Mother May I is the new book. It's that's out everywhere now. Um, at, at what point were you with this book last year when all of that started yeah, it happening? Was turned in. I, it was turned in and done. I was in edits before anything. Yeah. So, I mean, gotcha. yeah. I turn in usually at least a year. They do a long marketing tale for me. So at least a year before before it comes out. So, no, I had no idea. And, you know, my husband and I, our daughter was about ready to go off to college. And we moved into a condominium because we were going to travel more. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> and she ended up taking a gap year and we ended, so we, we're still living with her in the condo. We did, we traveled like to, we would walk to the cemetery with the dog every day. That was our trip. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're looking around at each other going, why did we downsize now? Why did we yeah. get now? That's, <sighs> that's so funny. It's so funny. Well, um, I, you know, last year we talked about Never Have I Ever, and what a fantastic book um, that is, and 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 you know what a what a great uh, book that was to have last year. But you know, when you look back on your previous books, um, because before Never Have Have I Ever, Never my tongue's never not going to work today. Never <laughs> Have I Ever. Yeah, um, I think you, you fiction. Yeah, you had published like eight novels before that book. Is that right? Yes. You. Southern fiction, like family drama kind of stuff. And now I'm writing more domestic suspense thriller kind of stuff. That, and that was going to be my question is what, uh, why the, the shift of gears there from, uh, from Southern fiction, you know, um, family stories to thrillers. What, what precipitated that choice? Well, honestly, it, it was not a choice. I started writing Never Have I Ever and realized that the book was different from my other books. So um, I think part of it was that, like, if you look at my first eight novels, even though they're, um, they don't have the same kind of vroom arc, there's always a murder mystery or the engine of a thriller at work in them. I think I was always kind of a frustrated thriller writer. But I'm, I am very deeply Southern, and I'm always worried you might not think I'm nice. I want you to think I'm real <laughs> nice. I'm not real nice, Hank. <laughs> but I want you to think I am pathologically Southern. So I think that part of it was just getting older and my give-a-crapper broke. I just don't have any craps left to give, and I don't feel like I have to, like, be that nice. And And the other thing is, like, I really believe my books haven't changed that much. Like, thematically, I'm still writing about all the things that have driven me as a writer for the last 15 years. It, it really is just the pacing and the engine that have changed. And there was, there was always a murder story going on in my little family dramas. I've just moved that front and center. So if I think people who, who like my thrillers might like my older books if they, if they are not looking for that adrenaline rush and people who liked my older, like I've, I've, most of my readers have come with me. And then I've also kind of added thriller readers. So that's been great. Well, looking at your back catalog and uh, Almost Sisters uh, was the book that came out before Never Have I Ever. Is that right? Yes. You can definitely see the trajectory. The you, you can in in Almost Sisters, it uh, you can feel the ramp up if you if you want to look at it that way. 
Yeah. And I mean, in all those sisters, there is a, there's a, there's a murder mystery that goes all the way back to the civil war. Like you learn the history of this town. And, and, and one of the things that happens in that book is that she solves a family mystery that has been percolating literally since the civil war. So, um, so, you know, you can see the seeds of what the writer was going to become. When I started writing Never Have I Ever, though, just because the engine felt so different, I I was like, I got about a third of the way into it. And I was like, oh, my Lanta, this is a this is not this is a thriller. And I was very anxious about it because we I was out of contract. I had just turned in the Almost Sisters, which was my last book on that contract and my publishing house whom I loved and I wanted to stay with had made me a a really nice offer for my next two books. And I went to my agent and I was like, we can't take this offer because the contract was like two more Jocelyn Jackson books. And everybody knows what that means at my publishing house. And I was like, this is not, I can't, accept this contract and turn this book in. And so my agent was like, Jocelyn, are you, you're so dramatic. Send me the chapters. So I sent her like the first five chapters and she called me back and she's like, oh my God, you're right. This is a different genre. You are writing domestic suspense, baby. I'm like, I know. So she was like, I, I, I do not show my drafts to my editor, Hank, ever. She's like, you've got to, we've got to send this to Emily. You know, you can't, we can't take the contract. So we sent it to Emily, which luckily my editor, she's also like Karen Slaughter's editor. Like this is a person who yeah. is not going to be thrown by a little thriller. So we sent it to her and we're like, Hey, so I'm kind of doing this now. And they loved it. They came back with a better offer. <laughs> oh, wow. So we, we were like, great. If you guys are on board with this shot, like it was really affirming and made me feel really good confident about making the change to have my publishing house read the first you know third of the book and get so on board that felt really good so uh, how does it affect um a writer that is well established because you know you've got you've got eight novels out um you know this you're you're no uh you're not new at this by any stretch of the imagination but you know going a a little different genre and and the tone being a little different in the book did it feel like starting over again or like how to how does it it felt like a refresh it felt it felt very reinvigorating like maybe uh, and also like just to be I think that if you're a writer, you're trying to say something, right? Yeah. And you either ha- you either say the thing and you're done, or you just keep trying to say it a little bit better. And I really believe that with the Almost Sisters, I said something I've been trying to say as well as I can say it. Maybe not as well as it can be said, <laughs> but as well as I can say it. And like I felt like I'm done with... It felt like something closing, like I'm finished with that. And and then something new kind of opened up and I walked toward it. So it's been really reinvigorating and exciting for me. It's made, it's refreshed work in some, in some really fun ways. And I'm having, you know, my, these books are a little, a little more commercial. They're still, they're still good book club books. Like I, my goal has always been, whether I was writing Southern fiction or domestic suspense, to write a book 
that you could pour yourself a big old cocktail and go down to the beach and have a nice day and just enjoy it. And if that's all you want, it's the, there'll be a fun plot for you. There will be shooting and kissing, you know, <laughs> but also <laughs> usually within a couple of pages of each other. But also, if you want to read this for your book club, there's going to be stuff for you to talk about. Like there's I do things thematically and I take on I, I write about faith and justice issues. I write about women's issues. Like there's plenty to talk about with your book club. And I, I didn't want to change that just because I was changing genres. Um, so like if you look at Mother May I, yes, it is. It's like a roller coaster ride. It's a heart pounding little thriller. But it's also there's a lot to talk about in terms of class and poverty and how we pretend to be classless in this country, but we are actually rigorously structured and we don't really like our poor people. They're not attractive. And so we incarcerate them in amazing numbers and who gets second chances. And Hank, I'm not a person who ever got like a second chance. I got 490 oh, yeah. million chances, oh, yeah. but yeah. And so just looking at who, who, who has that kind of all these safety nets available to them and what happens to you if you don't. And, and so, like, uh, that I didn't want to change. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Um, you, um, you write Southern fiction. Uh, it, it, especially, your previous books especially um, fall definitely in that category. Your newer two books are, are flavored that way. Let me just yes. put it that way. Um, what is it? that makes a book Southern fiction. I'm from the South. I'm from the deep, deep South. Um, you're from the South. Um, you know, we don't, 
other authors don't throw around terms like New England fiction or Midwestern fiction or, um, you know, maybe there's a, uh, an L.A. noir is, is, is a thing. But, you know, the other regions don't, you know, hold themselves up as, as having their own brand of fiction. What is it that makes Southern fiction Southern or that makes, that makes us our own genre, if you will? I think it, I, I, for me, and I think for many Southern writers, it is my deep seated ambivalence about my homeland and that I, I love, that. love my homeland. I love the South. I was an expat for seven years and longed for home in ways I did not understand that I would miss home. I also understand that when I stand in my homeland, the ground is deep burnt umber with blood and vicious history. And that history is playing out in every breath we take right now. The past is alive. The past has a pulse and a heartbeat and it has teeth. And when you stand in the South, if you are, if you are not cognizant of these things, you have no business riding the South. Like, if you don't love it and grieve for it with a black rage filled grief, I don't know. You don't understand where you live. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't understand where I lived. Like the, the best thing I ever did was to move out of the South for seven years and get some distance. I didn't write about the South until I left it. Wow. Wow. That's, that's very well put. Um, there's a, there's a conflict uh, that that outsiders might not understand where you can deeply love something and also deeply um, kick against it. it at the same time. You yeah. know, it's uh, but but anyway, that's you put it way better than than I ever could. Um, um, Mother, may I um, when I got this book in the mail. Uh, from your publisher a while back and I opened it up and I'm talking about literally on page one the first sentence is I woke up to see a witch peering in my bedroom window (laughs) and I said I said okay all right well uh, Jocelyn is about to take me on an adventure I know that from uh, from page one Uh, I think I terrified my editor because she was like you just changed genres now is this supernatural I'm like no 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 it's a metaphor yeah yeah, I was like, I was like, is Jocelyn now writing fantasy? What no. what is going on here? <laughs> no, and she's, and yeah. she's yeah, well, dreaming. So well, she's dreaming, and and it invokes like, so the like the least scary person on the whole planet is a little old lady. Okay. You know, <laughs> we're just real sweet. We make muffins and stuff. Um, and she, if you're gonna wake up and see someone in your backyard peering in your bedroom window, and I'm like, pick who it's going to be 70 something year old lady yeah i'll take i'll take two oh, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to like giant man with knife no none of that please <laughs> so but it's it's also very weird and threatening to have it, they have a you know they live in atlanta and so they have a privacy fence and it's a locked privacy fence they do live urban there's they're they're very affluent, but it's still urban, so there's crime. Um, and you live in the city, you know. If you live out in the country, you just you don't even bother to lock the door. You, who's who's going to come? But you, the more people you live around, so 
I, I wanted it to be threatening and weird. And so she's dreaming, you know, she's half asleep and she looks out the window and this woman's wearing like a black shawl and a, a crocheted hat with a peak and she sees a witch and, and then, you know, when she sits up, of course the woman just pulls away from the window, just disappears. And, and she's, then she's not sure if she saw anybody at all because a witch, you know, she, it's, it's right. easier for her to discount it. And it's also more threatening. When, when you started thinking of this book, um, uh, yeah, I, I love the, the stories of, of the beginnings of things because in one moment mother may I does not exist nothing about it exists and then either a character you know comes on the stage of your mind or, or, or maybe you read a magazine article or a newspaper article and the what if game starts playing um, but the the first sentence in this book and the this idea of uh, of her waking up and seeing um, this witch and then you know it is her mind you know playing tricks on her or or whatever and you start you know you kind of get in that in that mindset of, of Brie um, when did that first sentence come to you um, how deep into the process were you when you knew that the book needed to open that way uh, that was that was always the, the opening line it's very but hard for me it? to start a book until like I have the characters sometimes for years before I write a book. Like I will think of a character and just kind of tuck them away and keep working on the book I'm working on until that, you know, until a cast grows. So I know the characters for years and years, but until I have that opening scene and that opening line, I'm not ready to write the book. And like, so this book, Brie is, um, you know, her child is taken very quickly. Like yeah. the, her, her youngest child disappears. And it's, of course, because it's one of my books, it's not a straight up kidnap and ransom thing. There's a <laughs> lot more to it. It's a revenge story. But I knew, like, the, I think where the book started for me before that scene was the idea of two mothers. Because very quickly, it's not a spoiler to say this, very quickly, Brie learns that the, the person who has Robert is this witch. It is a, a, another woman who is also a mother. And that's what I wanted to write about. I mean, obviously, they, there's some Stockholm Syndrome at work. There's some psychology at work. But on the most basic level, the, the witch has taken her baby and she wants Brie to do her a favor to help right the scales of justice in the world. And... And of course, you know, Brie's own history and family and stuff plays into that. There's a reason she chose Brie. It's not random, obviously. But for me, the idea was like, as they work on this project together, this weird empathy would grow up between them because they are both mothers. They come from the same socioeconomic background. Brie has been really upwardly mobile. She grew up like not food insecure and she had a place to live and she had a loving mother, but it, the kind of family where if the car breaks down, that's going to throw your whole year. Like it's perilous. You're just barely making it that next paycheck, you know, you're out of groceries and like, so you're having rice and beans the day before that next, you know, that's how she grew up. And where Brie has been very upwardly mobile, this woman who has come from the same background, her family has gone the other way. They didn't get the second chances that Brie got. They didn't get the breaks that Brie got. And so, like, once she realizes Brie is not this upper middle class rich man's trophy wife, 
socioeconomically they connect. They both connect as mothers. There's this, they understand each other under different circumstances. They would be friends, but each of them is at the heart fighting for her own child. So they're headed for a conflagration. Like there's no, when it's your kid, you can't be like, oh, but I have empathy for you. Like it's your child. Right. So that, that to me was what I wanted to write about were these two women who see each other and understand each other and can even empathize for each other, but who cannot afford to be anything but relentless. Yeah. Um, you, you said that sometimes characters will stick with you for a long while, even before you uh, write their stories. Um, how long had, had Bree Cabot been with you? Brie was very new. Brie was the last piece that slotted into place to make this book work. I thought about the witch and her family and was looking for a way to write about them. I had thought about Brie's daughter. Brie has two daughters (laughs) that are 12 and 13 and they are just opposites. I had thought of them for a while. I had thought of Brie's mother, who is a person who razor wire like really loving, really strong, really anxious person because her life has, has been really hard, but she's very tough. Like I had the whole cast and I couldn't write the book until I found Bree's voice. And Bree is so like a, a lot of my characters, I'm not necessarily terribly interested in likable women. Like I'm not, is somebody just real sweet? I don't care. I want to yeah. write about interesting women. I don't write about women who react. I write about women who act. And it was very hard to find Brie because she genuinely is a very sweet person. It really surprised me that this is, and she has a core of steel and she goes to war, but I would like to have lunch with her. Like she's lovely. And that was just very unexpected. Like a lot of times my characters are so broken in these really specific ways that cause interesting narratives. But Brie is a person who is caught up in other people's histories and other people's narratives. And she has to navigate between these two opposing brutal narratives. And she rises to it. She's very strong. But her nature is just, I really like her. Like, I would i would want to be friends with her. <laughs> I wouldn't say that about all my narrators, my murderous narrators, necessarily. So funny. Um, I, I debated on whether to to ask you or, or, or to uh, kind of broach this topic, but you mentioned it a minute ago, and uh, and and. And so I, I take that as an open door. Um, the the idea of Stockholm syndrome and yeah. and how um, me as a reader, um, my relationship with Brie, if if I can say that, and and, sure, and yeah, sound weird, you know, we we do form relationships with the with the Hopefully, the protagonists that we read. It? Yeah, exactly. Um, but. Was that something that you consciously were were playing with, you know, um, you know, that that me as a reader would be willing to go places uh, by the end of the book that I was not willing to go in the beginning of the book? Absolutely. That I was I cannot. Thank you. Wow. That, <laughs> that Hank, I'm so I'm so glad that that shines through for you. Yes, it is. 
that that was my intention it, and I, I didn't know if I had done it I'm really happy to I, mean, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to offer any spoilers but absolutely yes there's a little bit of a an empathy bait and switch going on where I want you to step into narratives where you might initially just reject that narrative and approach it the way Brie learns to, even though you cannot affirm the narrative because it's horrifying, Right. you, you end up having this weird empathy for the whole situation because there's something really truthful and powerful happening. Oh God, I'm just really moved. Hank. Well, well, and, and that's another, that had to be fun to play with because we, um, yeah, you know, we, we're, we're familiar with empathy and, and wanting to connect with a character. And then we also think of, um, Stockholm syndrome as, as this, kind of trick that is played on us or sometimes we play on ourselves that oh, yeah. al- allows right. us to go places that we we shouldn't go so or, you know most of the time um but kind of playing the idea of empathy ag- against stockholm syndrome is <laughs> is such a fun thing yeah yeah i i i will admit to a little bit of machiavellian enjoyment there <laughs> so was this a, a a book that you planned out like did you know yeah. where it was going from the beginning no I thought I did I was wrong I'm I almost always think I know I'm almost always wrong and I learn I've learned at, over the course of I'm now in the middle of my 11th novel I have learned that at a certain point in the book my characters will begin doing things that make me hideously uncomfortable and that I will not want them to do And the more I fight them, the more words I'm going to have to throw away. And the sooner I accept, like when my, when my characters start pulling me in a direction that makes me intensely uncomfortable, that is my character. That is my actual undermined, my reptile brain at the base of my spine (laughs) saying, this is what you want to write about. This is why you started to write this story. It's not something you were ready to look at directly, but you're writing this story as a way to engage with this. So follow us or you're wasting your time. And, and I've learned, I I, I would love to say, I just immediately with a lamb-like docility and obedience, follow them into the dark. (laughs) That's a lie. I still fight them, but I don't fight them as long or as hard. Um, I, I will tell you this, like there was one narrator when I got two thirds of the way through and I am a pretty, like, I'm a pretty buoyant person. I'm a pretty hopeful. I mean, my books are all pretty dark, but they're also funny. Like I have a sense of humor and I also believe in buoyancy and hope. Like I'm, I am essentially an optimist and I do essentially love people. I don't really like those books where everybody is just a horrible person and there's no place to hang your moral hat. And it's just a bunch of narcissists and egomaniacs murdering each other. Like, I don't care, but why don't all y'all just go kill each other? I'll be over here. Like I need like that knives out, nurse you know I need a place to hang my hat and this book is a tough book there were some places that were just very dark and difficult and I bogged down about two-thirds of the way through and Marshall showed up and I went Marshall was a woman and she and Brie were very oppositional she was another mother at the school they they sort of were they were sort of becoming friends this very upper middle class woman and who was sort of standing in for the reader and having her eyes open to a lot of facts about the way the world. It very, um, 
and Marshall came in. And so I just ditched her and put and let Marshall be a narrator. My agent was like, you're doing what? You're adding a narrator? What? No. I was like, trust me. And and then I, because she, she had read the first half of the manuscript. And then I sent her the whole thing with Marshall. And she was like, oh, yes, he had to be here or it wouldn't even be your book, would it? I'm like, yep. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, From Never Have I Ever, which came out last year, to Mother May I, which is the brand new book we're talking about today. Um, We talked about the subtle shift um, in your writing uh, to to the thrillers that you're writing now, but you, that your previous work had hints of this already. There, there, it was already building toward this. Um, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, well, you alluded to uh, a few minutes ago that that you're working on book eleven now. Um, it, is it also a thriller? Is that safe to say? It is. Yeah. It's um. It's about a a, a television a former sitcom star, like not not like. Kind of like the girl who played Kimmy on Full House. Like she was, she had okay. a little part on a big show. You, you probably don't remember her, but she oh, has yeah, a yeah. stalker, you know? And so she leaves LA to come back to Georgia to get away from the stalker who has intensified to the point that it's terrifying. So she and her daughter flee back home only to land like, first of all, he's following her. And second of all, she's back in her past where she's sort of leaping out of a frying pan into a fire while the frying pan tries to beat her to death. So it's super fun. I can't wait. Cannot <laughs> wait to see what what you what that turns into. It's it's going to be amazing. I know. Um, Mother May I is available everywhere now in uh, in print copy. If you still like to hold paper or Kindle edition, uh, I know there's a uh, there's an audio book uh, also, isn't there? Yes, I read it. Yes. Oh, 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 I didn't know that you did that. Ah, oh, that's going to be so fun. I'm going to go to Audible right now and go grab it. Um, anyway, the, you, there's going to be links in the show notes to this episode where you can go grab Mother May I. Uh, Jocelyn, it's always so much fun catching up with you and, and, and talking books. Um, where can people find you online if they want to dig into all the amazing stuff that you've got going on? Um, JocelynJackson.com Although you know my name is spelled weird It looks like Josh Helen JocelynJackson.com And I'm Jocelyn Jackson on Instagram Twitter and Facebook Awesome we'll put links to all those great places In the show notes to make it easy for people to find you Jocelyn uh, Thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show Thanks for having me Hank I really appreciate it You're so fun Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing or proofreading Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. Are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life? Novelize is a web-based writing app which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection. Right from your desktop, laptop, tablet or smartphone just get the novel written. Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum. 
help you track your progress, and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write, or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing, and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organize mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize, the app for writers by writers.